Matthew 13, 18. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, we are pretty well along. Uh, hopefully, most of you remember, but where we are is we're in chapter 13, and this is where Jesus is changing how he's doing things. Uh, he's beginning to focus in on his people, uh, the 12. And I don't know if anybody has been watching The Chosen, but it's basically Matthew's account of this. It is really good. Uh, season three is now on um, uh, Prime. It is also on broadcast TV on, what's it, Channel 16 or one of them carries it once a week. It's on, and they're on season two. If you're not watching it, you're missing something. They do it really well. And it sort of brings this alive. Of course, they, you know, what, what you don't know, they make up. But uh, none of it is to the point where they did what? You know, it, it's just worth doing. But it's kind of neat because Jesus is getting, he's preparing. You know, always knowing when he was going to die and how he was going to die, it, to me, would be a huge burden. Um, but he's well aware of it. So what he's doing is he's preparing the people who are going to take this gospel after him. Questions. Go ahead, buddy. Um, are we recording and timing? We're recording. Somebody forgot to time. Thank you. We started a half hour early, so I can go a half hour longer. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so he's, he's, uh, he says things, and then he explains it to the disciples. And it gets to be a pattern from this point on. Yes, he still deals with... He does a lot of his talking from this point on to his disciples and to uh, the leadership of uh, yeah, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests, all of which are different people. You know, And that cacophony of spiritual leadership, what we'll call... Uh, spiritual political combination which is never a good it just doesn't I'm sorry it has never worked and it has always been abused every time we take it take spiritual matters into the political realm we do damage to people and uh, because God's on our side and, uh, but that's what's happening here so Jesus tells a parable and he's on the parable of the sower now, it says, verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower, Jesus speaking to them. The next five verses, Jesus explains the parable of the sower to the disciples, not to the crowd. He had already told us the parable. Um, we had already read that. The disciples will one day explain it to all the other sheep, as Matthew does here. Uh, you know, because he pulled them aside and said this, we get this. You know, 2,000 years later, 5,000 miles apart, Jesus doesn't say, listen, he says, hear, <laughs> like, pay attention, understand is basically what he's saying. And he says it 19 times in this chapter, which should tell you something like, this is important. I want you guys to really hear this because I'm going to explain a lot of things with parables that matter. Um, four responses to the gospel uh, that are possible with the seed and the sower, resistance, shallow, distracted, and productive. Those are basically the things that could happen when the gospel hits somebody. The seed is shown on all the ground. There is no place where the seed is forbidden to go. There's no place where the seed 
doesn't have a chance of becoming productive. Uh, these are for the usual outcomes. It's not saying that there are not other soils, such as those who are openly hostile to God and the Word, but it still gets spread there. It also does not say that the seed is sown only once. It's a continuous, the sower never stops sowing. The seed's always being thrown. And somebody who's productive, I would just, I would go and say that just about the vast majority of the people who are productive were at one time were either resistant, shallow, or distracted. And it, uh, they came to the Lord after many times the seeds were thrown. 19, he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, which, you know, we take it for granted. Um, preaching the gospel in the United States, everybody has a, just about everyone has a base understanding of Christianity. Uh, Jesus Christ, you know, the Old Testament, the New Testament, they may not be able to swing it all together, but it still astounds me uh, when I do funerals and I speak the truth of the gospel and what the gospel leads to, why it matters. I mean, the eternal perspective, but, which is what all this leads to that, you know? And people go, I've never heard that. And I'm like, where do you go to church? I mean, who, who's not telling you this? It's not, it's not like some great mystery I found. I just quote in scriptures, you know? And, and it's sort of disheartening. But on the flip side of that, the hope that you offer them with that message—it's amazing. People light up with it. It, it is. It yeah, is. Like I see, I can see the other side. The things I say—I've tried so many times to change what I say in uh, a funeral, but I can't. It just—it's what needs to be said. And it, every time I do it, people come up to me and say the same thing. I've never heard that. That's—you know—that really helped me. And I'm like, man, I. I mean, this is things, if I said them to you, you'd go, okay, yeah. But it's like being, uh, I had a friend of mine uh, that I've known for years through law enforcement. He was at uh, Gary's, Lauren's uh, father-in-law's funeral, and he said to me, Jeff, he said, he said, that really, really helped me. And he said, you know, when I die, I want you to do the funeral. And I said, well, next Wednesday? Yeah. So... Um, but you know, and it was and it was somebody I care about, somebody I want to know the Lord. So, yeah. But still, I mean, they don't understand it. Yes, they've heard it, but somebody up there is not explaining it, and they're gonna have to answer for that. And uh, they're up there talking politics or talking I don't I don't know what. And man, anyway, Luke uh, eight eleven says, "No, the parable is this: the seed." is the word of God. So what they don't understand is the word of God. They don't understand scripture. Uh, they never linked the two together. They never understood that the Old Testament leads. They, if, they told a, if you told them a story out of scripture, half of them wouldn't know whether it was from the old or new. And yet these are people who were raised in churches. And so it really is time for churches to boil back down to the remnant and start over because we become extremely ineffective. We, I don't even know what we became. First John 5, 19 through 20. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. We don't talk about that much. 
about Jesus coming and giving us understanding. If you will remember, well, we're reading understanding right now. He gave them understanding. They wrote it, Matthew wrote it down, and now we get it. Please remember the road to Emmaus. When Jesus, after he arose, and he runs into those two travelers, and he spends all night with them, and he's talking to them, and they're sitting there, they're glued to him, they're listening, and he's explaining everything from the Old Testament that now applies to what just happened, and they're going, oh, wow, that you're right, that scripture, this is, that is exactly what happened. And then it says he went back, them two went back and told the disciples what Jesus told them. That understanding went from Jesus to them, to the disciples, to the people who wrote these books, to us. There's a couple stages in there. And all those wonderful people who gave their lives translating scripture, you know, just everything. It's there and we don't look for it. So that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son Jesus Christ. And this is the true God and eternal life. Uh, so that we may know. Uh, it's our choice to know. And when you want to know, you will look and you will. Verse 20, the one on whom the seed is sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. It's an emotional response, and that is fine. Uh, I am... I went through a, a time when I was younger when I uh, was more focused on the emotional side of this. Uh, I'll just put it this way. When I was uh, more aligned with the Pentecostal movement, I uh, interned at a Pentecostal church. I fellowshiped in the middle. But, and yes, I felt good, but there was always something in me that just went, this is not enough. And um, the problem with whenever the emotion wears down, then you start to lose things. So you try to find a way to pick the emotion back up. So you start to create things and situations where you can do that. Uh, the truth of the matter, but the truth, theology, is always there. Here's what I've concluded, that emotion should come from truth. Truth never comes from emotion. It just doesn't. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. It's good for you. Uh, sometimes I've, I think I move so fast and harshly away from it that I lost something. You know, like I went, oh man, like I made a mistake, I'm never going to do that again. But for me, the real emotion is when I'm by myself, you know, it's three in the morning and I'm sitting there and I got my earbuds in and I'm just listening to music that just soothes my soul. And just to worship is that intimacy with God that you need in any relationship. So... The one who sees it and gains and embraces it have nothing to lose, not knowing or weighing the cost, which Jesus made very clear. They build on no foundation. They want God to do something for them more than they want God. The group that wants a Savior but not a Lord, the two are inseparable. At 21, yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when the affliction or persecution arises, cost, because of the word, immediately he falls away I can't tell you how many people I know and care about 
that I know came to the Lord and then just do nothing. They're not involved. They don't read. They don't fellowship. I I don't know what else to say to them that I haven't said. Uh, that's God's business, and you know, if there's something I feel led to say, I'll say it. But uh, I've looked them right in the eye and said, "You need to go to church, man. You don't need to come to my church. You need to be in fellowship. You need to be reading the Word and, and you know, worshiping. And are you doing any of that? No. But I know God loves me. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, He does. He absolutely does. When the inevitable cost of the gospel rises, it overwhelms the gain that they latched onto and they soon let go. Christian in name only, those who grasp only the emotional benefits of the gospel turn when the emotions are challenged. The faith is built on truth, not feelings. You have to chase feelings, but the truth is always there to stand on, which I just said. I don't know if you guys ran into that, if you have friends that, um, what, what we say of walked away from the faith or whatever you want to say it, uh, that's them. And Jesus knew it would always be like that. I'm not saying they're done. I'm just saying it's God's going to have to do something to make them want to come back. Um, well, I don't even know sure how much they were really there. Are they saved? Yeah, I believe they are. <coughs> but are they of any practical use in the kingdom? No. Uh, that's not saying they won't be. and doesn't say they don't matter. But uh, it's kind of hard. Um when it's somebody you really care about. It is. You know, when it's family members, it's even tougher. So, and 22, and the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word, and the worry of the world, and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Uh, there are things in this life that mean more than the gospel to them. Things that demand the attention that the gospel demands from them. Things like their jobs, their friends, their family, and of course money. With money comes power. Money is worldly power, and when it when you pursue it more than you do the kingdom, you exchange the power of God for the power of paper. And that's exactly what you're doing. And I think if you live long enough, you learn that. You, you don't just accept this. You know it. Because you've been there, you've done it. You... you played that game a little bit and you went you know I talk you know every time I see this lottery thing go up to a, over a billion I look at it and I have fun in my mind playing the game of what good I would do with it and I, I do you know I'd set up trust I'd put good people in charge of it I'd, first off whatever you're doing now with what you have is what you will do then uh, also the burden of it I used to pray, Lord, let me win the lottery. And now I pray, Lord, even if I play, don't let me win the lottery. Because unless you're actually going to be there and, and guide me through this, because I don't want that responsibility. I don't want this. And I don't want to have to answer for every one of those dollars. Was it Jacob Marley's ghost? You know, just. He's going to ask, what did you do with it? And wow. So I when I find myself getting lost in that. Okay, you know how we all, every one of us here, has our own internal ver uh, conversation with ourselves. What we call thought. What thought you're talking to yourself. I mean, it really is what you're doing. It's, it's how we function. Well, I spent a lot, you know, it's like a billion. I spent a lot of time speaking to myself 
about that money. And boy, oh boy, what I could do with that. And I don't think I have a concept of what a billion dollars is. You know what I mean? I just, I can't even imagine. And then after I think about what I would, the good things I'd do with it, then I find myself thinking about the idiotic, stupid things that I'll be dead in a couple of years and it'll all just look dumb. And, you know, I just, and I think of this. It's powerful. It's very powerful. It really is. And I don't know if it ever stops being powerful. Because even if, you know, if it's not for what's something you want to do for yourself, let's say it's something you want to do for your family, which is honorable, but even that can overwhelm what you should be doing with it. You know what I mean? Are you really, let's say I gave all my kids, even the ones that I like and don't really like, um, <laughs> vast amounts of money. Did I really help them? Did I hurt them? You know what I mean? And the easy thing help. is to say, yeah. yes, honey. It she helps. said, oh, it would help. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, dear. I don't think you have to worry about it, but okay. Uh, it, <laughs> um, it doesn't say it dies. It says it becomes unfruitful. You're, you're, you're growing things other than fruit, just a bunch of leaves. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, the tree may get bigger. The leaves may get bigger. It may be green. It may turn beautiful colors, but there's nothing there of any value. Uh, it produces nothing, and we call that a wasted life. You only get so much time here. And man, I, I I really I really don't want to have to answer for more that I wasted than I already have. Uh, Matthew six, I, and I know, and I say that knowing that in God's hands none of it's wasted. He's always using all of it, even my dumb decisions, and even when I went and did stupid things and pursued dumb things, even that He used to bring me to a point of knowledge. I gained something from my stupidity, you know. Uh, Matthew six twenty four through 25. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate one and love the other. That's as extreme as it gets, love and hate. Sooner or later it'll come to it, and you'll make a decision. And it may be a decision you weep over for an eternity, or you weep over for five minutes. It's your choice which one you do. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, you cannot serve God in wealth. For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put, on, put it on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Matthew 19, 21 through 24, Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, I love how this translates in the New American Standard, complete. If you wish to be, this is the young man who comes up and says, what do I need to do? Because obviously he doesn't feel complete. He's saying to God, I'm, I'm following everything from the Old Testament. I'm following the law. I, there's something that just isn't right. It, there should be more. I know there should be more. I don't know what the more is. If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. And come follow me. That little line, you will have treasures in heaven, we have got to cling to that. Uh, it's my sermon this week. It, it that's where our hope is. Our knowledge comes from the past. Our faith comes from the past. Our motivation comes from the future. It does. Time and time again. How many times Jesus tells us what's happening up there and you should consider it. Afterlife. Uh, Peter, Paul, all of them. All, all telling you, keep your eyes there. 
uh, if you don't, this is going to overwhelm you. Treasure, uh, come and follow me. He makes him an offer. He says, look, cash this in. Invest it. Invest it in forever. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. So we know how sincere he is. He knows he's not complete, and he grieves. He just doesn't go, ah, never mind. You know, and go, do, 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 you know. It, it affects his heart. And Lord knows, hopefully, he will come, you know, the young man, we'll see him in heaven. You know what I mean? That's our prayer after Jesus dies and rises. Uh, for when the reason he did is it says because for uh, he was one who owned much property, and property then was wealth. <coughs> he grieved because he was rich. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. I say again to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, he wasn't kidding. Um, I have met a few wealthy people who handled it very well, who you know the Lord led them to it, and they've done wonderful things with it. And uh, Cheryl's boss, uh, Mr. Wagner, just a man that cares. You know, he's, he, he would pay people's mortgages who couldn't pay. He would it just, uh, and he never talked about it. You know, I know it because she did it. You know, I know what he did because she's the one that wrote the checks and she's the one that made sure it all got done. And God bless him. You know, worked his way, you know, the American dream, you know, worked in a shoe store and all that stuff. But that's not the point. The point is that it can be done. I My advice has always been the same. Pray the prayer that Paul prayed. Give me my portion. My portion. Not the portion my portion what will not so much that I forget you not so little that I steal um, and that should be every person's prayer if it's too much for me don't let me have it I'm trusting you protect me from me as always you know Lord you know what will destroy me and what won't uh, obviously this young man did not feel complete he had the means but he refused to produce fruit with what he had been given to produce fruit. The fault is his, not the seed. None of this. Is there anything wrong with the seed? It's always the same. Jude 12, 13. Uh, Jude 12 and 13. These are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast, the communion. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without... <laughs> think of this. Hidden reefs... Clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit. In the autumn, it's all been dropped. There's nothing left but limbs. Uh, double deadly, uh, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves in the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. This is talking about people who do bad things with wealth <laughs> that's pretty harsh stuff man uh, John 15 1 2 I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser every branch in me that does not bear fruit and he's talking about uh, you have the fruit you did nothing with it this rich man uh, he takes away 
every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. So often we're being pruned and we're praying to God to stop the pruning without ever asking him, am I being pruned? You know, or is this an attack from the outside? Was this something I did wrong? Was it something Satan's coming at me for? Was this something another person is having me trouble with? Or are you doing this? It's important to know and it's important to ask God and to come at peace with it. You ask him, he'll tell you. He'll let you know one way or another. Because your reaction to each one of those things is going to be different. Uh, John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear much fruit. Why did God call you to bear fruit? That your fruit would remain, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask my Father's name, he may give you. That is, whatever you ask to help bear fruit. And we, we've really butchered that one. Moving on to verse 23. And the one on whom the scene was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. That goes back to the first one who they did not understand it. Uh, you know what you want to know. I don't know how else to put this. So often when we start talking to God, we're coming from a different place. We want something from him. And the way I always put it is, if you're hunting for bear, everything you see is a bear. You know, and when you realize that scripture is not going to back you up on what you're seeking, when you come to that reality, uh, you sort of fall away. But these people understand from the beginning what this is all about. What do you want from me, Lord? I know what you've done for me. I, you're my Savior. How are you my Lord? What do I need to do to make you my Lord? Uh, so they hear it. They accept it. Who indeed bears fruit. That's all you have to do is to hear it and understand it, and you will bear fruit. And what it's telling us is that everyone who doesn't understand it doesn't bear fruit. Why you're here, why, understands why you're on this planet still and not up there. And what do I always tell you? There's two reasons. For you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and for God to use you for the kingdom. Whatever it is he uses you for, wherever it is you are. It, and people keep saying, well, I don't know what he's using it for. Do you have a neighbor? Do you have family members? Do you have friends? That's what you're here for. The kingdom of God grows one by one from house to house. It isn't me. It's not Keith. It's not Kevin when he preaches. We're up there to help you go out and one by one. We're not even the coaches. We're the trainers. We get you ready to go. And that's there's no reward for that for us. None. There's no reward for what I do up there. That's not bearing fruit. It's when I go and talk to my neighbor and I show them the gospel and they see the hope that's in me and I explain it, which is what scripture says witnessing is. That's how this works. That person who hears the words and understands it knows this and lives their life in such a way that draws people to God and says things that draws people to God. And it says, and brings forth some 100-fold, some 60, some 30. What it's saying is the kingdom has lost nothing. The seed went out. These three groups, it didn't grow. But as much seed it was sent is how much it produced because this group made up the slack. 
what God wanted done, got done. There's nothing that human beings do that stops the will of God. Nobody goes to hell because I didn't say something to them. Nobody spends an eternity away from God because they saw me do something I should not have done. Oh, I pay a price for that, undoubtedly. You know, especially here. That's how it should be. God takes care of those things. Yes, I lost my blessing. Yes, undoubtedly. But the truth of the matter is the kingdom, what God wants done, gets done. If it doesn't, he's not God. He can't be. Hears and understands. He was listening for it and not looking to change it or use it for his own will, which is what we all have to learn not to do. He knows what it means and what it does. He understands its power and benefits as well as its cost and demands. And he also understands what the cost and demands bring because in the cost and demands is so much of our witness. When we get saved, it's not like God pulls us out of this world and the world's troubles and we never face them. No, it tells us completely that we will face them and we'll also face things from him that are hard. And what it tells us is how we do those things is a witness to the world. We face what they face. We handle it differently. We have hope in the midst of these horrible things that happen. The young lady with cancer and three young children. It crushes my heart. Well, it's supposed to. Man, it's supposed to break your heart. It breaks God's heart. But how we handle those things, the very fact that we're, we're aware of it and we're praying for her and we care about her, we don't know her. But we allow it to affect and infect us. It's different. That changes the world. We look for these amazing things like, okay, well, if God were to come and raise people from the dead, if God were to come and, and just stop all the wars, you know, he came and he did that and we killed him. He, he raised the dead. He healed people. He fed people. He spoke. He preached peace and we murdered him. No, this is how the kingdom gets changed. Just like this. I need to preach on miracles again just so people understand why they are and why they're not. But anyway, where are we at? Am I getting close? Oh, okay. Jesus, verse 24, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sows good seeds in his field. Verses 24 to 30 tells the parable. Sometime after, he, once again, he skips. He tells the parable and then Matthew explains it later. In verse 36, Jesus explains it to the disciples. He gives them time to think about it. The man who sows the seed is Jesus himself. The field is the earth. The tares, the lawless ones, are sown in among the wheat by Satan. At the right time, Jesus will see to it that they are separated from the wheat and judged. At the right time. How many times I've asked God, why do you allow that person to continue in this evil? Why do you allow that person to continue to cause such issues inside the church? Why do you... Jesus makes sure we know what he's speaking by declaring that this parable is about the kingdom of heaven, not about the church in particular. 
yes, the church is in the kingdom of heaven, but this is big picture stuff. Uh, I guess you could draw this all the way out to Hitler if you wanted to. The entire plan for mankind, unlike the gospel, uh, the gospel letters that speak to the ongoings in the church. This is broad stuff. This is, and of course, if it encompasses this world, it encompasses the church. The same, when you come through these doors, we don't stop being people. I mean, we come through the door, we're people. And, you know, people who are seeking God. But, 25, but while his men were asleep, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. While they were sleeping, uh, while they were not looking, while they were involved in something else, uh, tares, by the way, I, just so you have an understanding, it's in, it's in scripture a couple of times, is a kind of darnel, uh, the commonest of the four species, uh, being the bearded, growing in grain fields, as tall as wheat and barley, resembling wheat in appearance. It was credited uh, among the Jews with being a degenerate wheat. The rabbis call it bastard. It's a bastard wheat. Uh, the seeds are poisonous to man and herbivorous animals, producing sleepiness, causing nausea, convulsions, and even death. But they are harmless to poultry, so I guess they have some sort of value. The plants can be separated out, but the custom is the, but but the custom, as is in the parable, was to leave the cleaning until the time of the harvest. You you couldn't tell which was which until they got high enough. And if you've ever had a garden, which I have. And I had my beans growing and the little weeds were going up around it. I had to put my fingers around the bean and pull the weed out so that when I pulled the weed out, I didn't pull the roots of the bean out, which is very easy to do. So while trying to save something, you could actually kill it. God's smart enough not to do that. And Jesus is letting everybody know God's smart enough to do that. Trust me. This is basically, I know what I'm doing. And I'm just letting you know that I know what I'm doing because I know it's hard for you to understand that. But, 26, but when the wheat spout sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also because they didn't produce any grain. Like I said, it was very hard to tell which was which, the bastard or the, the, the legitimate one, until the grain was produced, and then you went, oh. And then you didn't have, there's, they had no, not only did they, they had no value. It's not like you could do anything with them. I mean, you pull them out, you, you couldn't, you had to burn them. Because if you ate them, or if people ate whatever was attached to it, you'd get sick and maybe die. So there is no in-between. There is tares and there is wheat. That is one of the hardest things we have to understand is there is no middle. There's his children, there, there's goats and there's sheep. That is it. And as always, and I'll say it again, our prayer should be that all the goats become sheep and all the lambs become rams. That is, but we need to realize that that's all there is. When Jesus did the great separation, there was no third group. There was the goats over here, the sheep over here. There was nothing in between. Uh, then the hairs became evident, and I'm going to be getting close. Yes, I am. All right. As always, what we are becomes evident not just to God, but to everybody else, sooner or later. But one of the great advantages of marriage is that uh, what I am becomes visible to somebody else. 
if I wasn't married to things that I would not know about myself that I would assumed were not there, how highly I would have thought of myself <laughs> if it wasn't for her. You know, and she doesn't have to do anything. I just act like me, and I know she sees it, and then I go, then I have to deal with it because there it is. It's not hidden anymore. It's seven o'clock. All right, all right, gotcha, buddy. No, I mean, yeah. I'm making a reference. No, no but yeah. you're right on it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And uh, well, I could turn this thing off so I can run right past it without it bothering me. Um, she causes me to see the tears in my life. Uh, maybe I'm taking that analogy too deep, but it, it's exactly what it is in every one of us. And not every. And Paul said, not everyone needs that. I do. I mean, there are people who can reckon with themselves and listen to the Lord and what the Lord's showing about themselves. To, well, the Word is to be sanctified. I mean, that is our goal while we're on this earth, to become as much like Christ as we can be. Um, to be conformed to His image. I need that to be conformed. All the other reasons for marriage, yeah, they're great, they're fine, I have no complaint, they're wonderful, they're all true, uh, but that is the reason. That's what it does for me. The things I would have never seen or had to admit or had to repent of that needed to be repented of. But you're willing to do that. Uh, well, because I almost have to. If I want to keep what I value. I, I, I wish I was more honorable and I wish I was... But that's the truth. I don't want to lose something. So that's crude, but man, it, it's effective. God knows exactly what he's doing. He knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly what it has to be done to get it, and he does it. This life is a mechanism for God getting what he wants. That's just all there is to it. Then we are there. So uh, we will pick back up on 27. Any questions, comments, criticisms? Yes, buddy. The, the, the four people that uh, I mentioned in the parable, they could, could that be interpreted as different stages in one person's life? Yes. I, 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 try to, I tried to say that, but that's a much better way of putting it. That's why I said the key seed keeps getting sown. God. Now, uh, I don't know. It's up to God how much time you get to do each one. But I know if you're not number four, when you check out, you're, you have problems and issues. So it's extremely important. I don't like to say it to make it casual. I'm like, don't worry about it. You're this one. Yeah, you should be worried about it. But you can be this one. There's no point in time. Um, it, it's harder for me. I've met a lot of people who have came to the Lord through drastic situations and and just really were changed like this because something happened that's not me I grew up in this I, I don't ever remember a time when I thought anything different of Jesus than I think right now who he was to me I don't remember a time when he was anything different I've heard people tell me that can't be true but I'm telling you it is I mean I um, yes, and there have been times when I became less of that one and more of this one and worked my way, hopefully. Uh, I'm not saying I'm number four all the way, but there are still little parts of me that are part of that soil and part of that soil that needs to be taken out. And, uh, you know, and I'll be here as long as it's beneficial to me to do that. If it gets to the point where that's no longer beneficial, 
or there's nothing, in other words, if I'm not growing anymore and there's nothing I'm doing for the kingdom anymore, then I won't be here. And that's fine. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, just because you see one person, let's say, in the, the one that's choked out, somebody you know and care about, and you go, man, that's them, and it breaks your heart. Uh, God's not done. Never lose something. Boy, just hang on to this. Uh, God is not willing that any should perish. Um, yes, he gives us choice, and he wants it to be through love. He could, he could surely make it happen. He could have made us all angels who had little, no choice in this matter. We, how can it be love without choice? How could it be? And that's what he wants. He wants us to choose them. Part of it is being those things and coming to be number four because you've tried everything else and you went, that was horrible. There's nothing there for me. Solomon's journey through Ecclesiastes. In the end, love the Lord your God. Obey the law. That's, I've, I've tried. Solomon was every one of those. He tried every one of those things. And he works, you, can, you read Ecclesiastes, you see him work his way through all four of them. And he comes to the conclusion. Uh, the sooner you come to the conclusion, the better. Uh, but don't lose hope for the people you care and love about. Even on their deathbeds, uh, when they are, it's just them and God. And, and, you know, if you've ever watched people die, and I don't know how many of you have or not, uh, you know, who spent like three or four days dying, you know, and just whatever's going on there, the conversations they're having, because they're having them. I mean, they're talking and they're, uh, you know, I could speak to my own uh, experiences with my mom and, I've told you all before that, man, whatever was going on between her and God was really something amazing in those last couple days. It, it was profound. But that's with everybody. Um, the thief on the cross, the criminal on the cross, I don't know if it's a thief, but the criminal on the cross came to Christ, came, became a sheep in the last seconds of his life. And Jesus was fine with that. He was happy. Jesus was, the, the angels in heaven rejoiced. People will, people will get the, the hackles up on their neck. Well, well, how can God allow that? Shut up, dude. God's thrilled. The angels are celebrating and you're complaining? Uh, what? Do you think grace is better for you than for them? I mean, yes, is the short answer. Uh, I really do believe that. I do. But, but I think what he's saying there is there comes a point in time at your death, if you're one of these, you've had, you run your race, you've made your choices. And uh, I'm not quite sure what awaits everybody. I know that there is uh, different punishments, levels of punishment. Did not Christ say uh, to Capernaum, it will be worse for you than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah? So obviously there's levels. I don't need to know. I don't want to be there. Uh, also with rewards, there are levels. Great is your reward, he says. But So, a lot to think about, but uh, let's pray. Any other questions? Anything? Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. Thank you so much, Father, for caring enough to have all these people sacrifice their lives. and their, uh, Just thank you, Father for the goodness of your word. And I thank you for these folks who want to hear it 
And I just ask that you just let this word drill into their hearts and minds and find a home there and let it change them. And watch over my brothers and sisters. Make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate. And help them to glorify your name in what they think, do, and say. Amen.